Thank you, uh, Pastor Wilson. Good morning to all of you. Did you all sleep well last night? Uh, because uh, the fireworks was going full blast. And uh, I was trying to get some sleep. I think uh, it only stopped close to 2 a.m. And I said, God, when will this ever stop? But everybody was having a fun time uh, yesterday uh, by playing their fireworks and so on. So I told my wife, actually, every firework that goes off, especially uh, the firecrackers, I said, probably there'll be about 200 ringgit burned. That one 200 burned. So after calculating, why? It's not cheap all. With all the, the fireworks and the firecrackers going over, I said, actually, they're burning money, you know. But anyway, uh, that is their way of celebrating. Now, before we start off with the Word of God, let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your wonderful presence here. And the Lord, we also know that this is the best place that we can ever be, and that is to be in your presence. And the Lord, even as we come, Lord, we ask that you will continue to move in this worship celebration. Lord, we commit ourselves to you even now. That, Lord, may our spiritual ears be open to hear your word. We ask, O oh God, for those who did not sleep well last night, Lord, you will refresh them physically and mentally so that, Lord God, they can stay focused in what we can learn together this morning through your word. We pray also for those who may not be feeling well, you will touch them and heal them in the name of Jesus also. And, the Lord, we ask that at the, at the end of the day, Father, your name will be glorified through this worship celebration. Father, I pray for fresh anointing to be upon me and upon my lips as I share and speak your word of God. In Jesus' name, and everybody say, Amen. Yes. <clears throat> Three weeks ago, I shared from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 onwards, and it was on the topic of coming together. The topic was on fellowship. And Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says, The early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they, there is a coming together, there was a sharing of their life together, and they learned together, and they, it is a common thing for them. It is not abnormal. It is something which is very normal and we learn about the importance of fellowship. We, we learn the word koinonia. For those of you who, like I said, if you cannot remember koinonia, you remember koinonia. When you, whenever you go to the market, you see people selling kue. Now the thing is this, that the reason why you and I are called to fellowship is because God is a God of fellowship. You know, in, in Genesis, when the creation of the world began, Jesus was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit came together and they were in fellowship. And then moving on, I shared that God saw that it was not good for men to be alone. And therefore, Eve was created. And I mentioned that normally this text is preached during a wedding. But then, again, it is not just for a wedding. It just tells us that God is saying that you and I are not created to be a hermit. You and I are not created to live a life alone. You and I are 
created to be in a community, to be in a fellowship. That is the reason why Eve was created, so that Adam can have fellowship with Eve. And also, God has always identified himself to, to, to this three person. He said, I am God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So basically, our God is a God of community. And Jesus also had 12 disciples. He was also in community. And he discipled them, he taught them. So basically, it is important for you and I to be in community in this world and in this church. And today, I'm going to continue on the topic of koinonia, on fellowship. And the sermon title is called True Koinonia. Shall we stand together as we read from 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to 7? It is the Word of God. Let's all read it out together. Let's declare the Word of God in this church, in this building. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the Word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Kindly be seated. The Apostle John wrote 1 John was because there was an issue in the church. And the issue was false teaching. And basically, 1 John was written to this group called the Gnostics because they were promoting Gnosticism which was a common false teaching at that time. Gnosticism teaches that you have to have a special knowledge in order to connect with spiritual things. The word gnosis actually means knowledge, a special kind of knowledge. Now, what do they believe? Gnosticism believes that physical things are bad, spiritual things are good. Therefore, if everything physical is bad, and everything spiritual is good, then Jesus must not have been a real person walking in the face of the earth. And here, the Apostle John wrote this to declare that Jesus was real. He was physically walking on this earth. And how did he present this argument to the to those who believe is in Gnosticism. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, that's how he began to counter them. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. 
What does John mean when he used the word beginning? The beginning in verse 1 of chapter of first John chapter 1. Basically, when he used the word the beginning, it uh, John is basically tying back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in which Moses wrote that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then he also went on to, to talk about the epistle or the letter that John himself wrote. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that's how he started to, to, to tell the, those who believe in Gnosticism. And he didn't stop there. He went on to say that he has heard, he has seen, and he has touched. What does he mean by this? That he has seen, heard, and touched. And not only him, but the apostles. Basically, what he is telling them that he has seen Jesus on the cross. He has seen Jesus while he was alive, before he was crucified, eating together with them. He has seen Jesus performing miracles. The feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000. He has seen Jesus stopping the storm when they were in a boat. That is what he's basically saying. And what did he hear? He hear about Jesus teaching about the parables of the lost sheep, of the lost coin. He heard Jesus teaching about the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. That's what he hears. And what did he touch? You know, before Jesus was captured in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was doing communion like what we did just now. And we read in the Gospel that, Je uh, that, the, that John, who was the closest to Jesus out of the 12 disciples, John was the closest to Jesus. And it was recorded that John was lying on Jesus' bosom. That means he touched Jesus. So because of this, John can testify that Jesus is real. Because he was there. John was a witness. So what does a witness do? A witness is not limited only to testimony. That certain things really happen. A witness declares the meaning and significance of those events. John, together with the rest of the apostles, experienced the risen Christ firsthand. Even before Jesus was crucified, before he was, he was risen, they were already with Jesus. So they had the best testimony about their life spent with Jesus. So the significance of what happened to Jesus can be summarized by one word, life. Jesus himself is the word of life and came to give eternal life to those who believe in him. See, the word, and the word of life begins in the words and works of Jesus. Because Jesus was real, he was a real human being. He came in the flesh and blood. John can proclaim in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, 
and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. What does he mean by the life appeared? Remember Jesus died, he was buried, and on the third day he, he rose. And what did Jesus, how did Jesus appear to the apostles? Jesus appeared to the apostles when they were so afraid, they were locking themselves and Jesus appeared to them. Jesus also appeared to doubting Thomas because Thomas said that unless and until I see him and touch him, I won't believe. And that's what Jesus did. And then Jesus also appeared to them by eating a piece of fish in the presence of the apostles. And so in Jesus, God offers eternal life and fellowship with the living God. Basically, it is a vertical relationship. Life, whether physical or spiritual, is a gift of a gracious life-giving God. God alone creates and sustains life. You know, you and I, we don't know how long you and I are going to walk on this earth. Life is short. We have had a few funerals conducted uh, before Chinese New Year and after Chinese New Year. It's just that people are getting promoted to heaven even until now. You know, two days ago, my classmate, my classmate passed away, same age like me, and today is his funeral. And I can count how many of my classmates have passed on. So you see, life is short. And it is God who gave us life. You know, today that you you and I are able to sit and stand here and talk and breathe. God is the one who sustains your life. God is the one that allows your heart to pump. You wouldn't know when, when your heart is going to stop pumping. So let us live every day for God. Let's, let us live every day for Jesus. And not only does God create us for a vertical relationship with Him, because, first of all, let us be reminded that it is not you who first loved God. The Bible says that it is God who first loved you. He first reached out to you. It is not that you reached out to Him. No, actually, if, we, if, if, if nobody shares with us and the Holy Spirit doesn't convict our heart, I tell you, many of us will still remain a non-Christian. But it is because the love of God has come down and the Holy Spirit has convicted our hearts that you and I, we surrender our life to Jesus but God doesn't want that to, to, to happen. God wants us to have a horizontal relationship and that is with people around us. You see, He finds joy in having a relationship with us and He wants us to build relationship with others as well. Verse 3 says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. First of all, let's again be reminded, what is fellowship? In my previous message, I mentioned that fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. It means participation. It means communion. It means fellowship. Koinonia is not just getting together with Christian friends for a barbecue or going for holidays together. It has a place. But koinonia is not simply being together. Koinonia is being together for a purpose. There is a purpose and goal to being together. The goal is 
you and I, we devote to grow in faithfulness to the mission of Christ in this world, to bear witness to the kingdom of God in all areas of our life. You see, our relationship, our friendship with our fellow believers should not remain the same. Our conversation should not always remain at cliche level. Cliche level means, how are you? Have you eaten? Chapao boy. How is life? Good. That is very cliche. There is a place for it when you are in a stage whereby in a care cell, we call it the community stage. No, the orientation stage. Whereby everybody is relatively new to one another. And therefore, the only way that you and I can build the ne- to the next level is we have a cliche conversation, a safe conversation in which we don't offend anybody, we don't rock the boat, and we just be nice to one another. So our relationship should never remain at the orientation level. Our relationship should move on to transition in which your relationship grows deeper, in which you are able to discuss something more than cliché. It may be an issue, it may be a topic. And so, when you are in a castle, when you find that, hey, why is it that now people are able to speak up? They dare to disagree with you. And some castle members cringe. They say, wow, is there disunity now? No, 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 actually it's not disunity. In other words, if you look from the positive side, your castle members' relationship has grown to the next level in which they, they dare to speak up. It is a matter of how you and I, we manage the conversation so that it does not create disunity. It is all right to agree to disagree. And it is healthy. And so let us not remain at the orientation level. Let us move on to transition level and then to community in which you are able to grasp and deal with hot potatoes. Because it means that you have come to the stage of maturity in which you dare to take the bull by the horn. See, the, 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 the thing now is this, that we have a lot of friends on social media, but no best friends. We no longer have a face-to-face conversation. We talk through WhatsApp. We, we post through Instagram. And then people just put like. People just follow. But is that all we are talking about relationships? No, I think it should be more than that. You see, in the early 60s when there was no mobile phone, the landline united families together. Last time there was no, yeah, my house got a landline. So some, when somebody calls, the whole family will gather around because they wanted to talk to uncle from KL. You know, what did uncle say and all that? We are all together. We have fellowship over the landline. But today with a mobile phone, you go to a restaurant and see, after the order, everybody will take out their mobile phone. Everybody will start to do their own thing. There's hardly any conversation. None at all. See? So how, we, how are you and I going to build meaningful relationships with our fellow brothers and sisters? So why is it so important to build relationship? You know, you, you read John, uh, 1 John chapter 1. Why did 
John starts off with building relationship with one another first before he even talks about our relationship with God. Let me share with you, I believe this is the reason why John is saying this. Because John knows that you and I, we can see one another when we step into this auditorium. We see one another. You, we are all physical beings. And when you step into a church or into a cell group, when you have begun to develop a relationship, you will begin to see that there's a kind of support that you have received as you get to know another person. The words of encouragement that comes from them, a pat on the back, the shaking of hands which we have already stopped because of this fear of coronavirus, and also the prayer support. You see, you receive love from people and that is why he starts off with this fellowship, this horizontal fellowship, first before the vertical uh, relationship. I was brought up in a Christian family and I was brought to church when I was a toddler by my parents. I went to Sunday school while my parents went for their service. But the thing is, is that when I was placed in a Sunday school at that time, one of the things that put me into trouble was because I cannot sit still. A class of about 10 to 12 people, children. I've got to be very careful in what I say, you know, because my Sunday school teacher is here. She was one of my teacher. Now the thing is, is that I cannot sit still. I will pinch somebody, kick somebody from the back until the person cannot tahan already, cannot stand it. The person will put up their hand, teacher, teacher, Thomas kicked me, Thomas, Thomas pinched me. You know, that time I was not a Christian, remember? I was, I'm not a Christian yet. But my, 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 my Sunday school teacher was very kind to me. She has never scolded me. She, in fact, she encouraged me. She spoke to me. She corrected me. She said, hey, don't do this. I'll stop. Then I moved on, changed to another teacher. Okay? <clears throat> and then I moved on to my teenage years. Still not a Christian. But I know when to kneel. I, I know when, where, where to, which which chapter of the Bible to turn to. I know when to say amen. I know when to say hallelujah. I know when to clap. I know when to raise up my hands. But I was not a Christian, no. I learned this because I observed people doing this in the church. So I became very rebellious. I decided to drop out of church at one time. Took up smoking, drinking, But I didn't, I wasn't a Christian. But I know that my parents were praying for me. But I got friends in the church who loved me, followed up with me, called me, visited me. Until one auntie <clears throat> told me, we are having our first church camp at Dalat School. Said, I will pay for your camp fees. 
At that time, even pay for me also, I refused to go. I said, no, auntie, I don't want to go. No, auntie said, you have to come. I pay for you. You register, you come. So what happened was that <clears throat> I went back to tell my parents, hey, auntie wants to pay for me for my church camp. My parents said, yeah, go, but we'll reimburse the auntie. But the auntie doesn't want to take my parents' money. She said, no, 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 no. I want to bless your son to go to the church camp. I went to the church camp. They said, okay, lah. somebody pay free. What? Go, no. So I went. I went, and then on the second night, before, before we break camp, the second night, the preacher was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ about the love of God, about how Christ died for you while you are still a sinner. Now, I want to tell you that if it had not been for the life of the Christians who had loved me, supported me, accepted me, be my Sunday school teacher, could be my friends who came along and, and, and spent time with me, loving me in spite of, my, of me giving them a difficult time, the love of God would mean nothing to me. The love of God wouldn't mean a thing to me. Ah, you talk about love only, but where is the love that I receive? I never received from the Christians. But because the Christian loved me and accepted me as I was, it linked. Because the love of my parents also, it helped me to link with the love of God. And then there was an altar call. And remember that I was sitting right at the back, the last row. I always sat in the last row every time there's a, there's a meeting because I don't like sit in the front row. Last row. And then suddenly, tears begin to flow out of my eyes. And my heart said, go. My mind said, don't be stupid, sit down while you go. But lo and behold, I found myself up in front. There was a row from one end to the next end in Dalat School Hall. And the preacher came, pray, 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 while everybody went down. I said, God, I won't fall one now. Sure, I won't fall, I will stand he came and he said something prophetically over my life. Oh, I said, wow, God, so tuna. He doesn't know me and he spoke something in my life. That can only be God. The next thing I know, I was on the floor already. <laughs> By the time I got up, uh, the hall was empty. Nobody was there. I was the only one. Everybody was having their nightcap, what we call supper today. By the time I walked out, there was still a group of people. Oh, they said, hey, come, 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 come. I said, hey, how long you have been having? We have been here for 45 minutes. I said, I'm down there for 45 minutes. Yeah, you've been down there for 45 minutes. We don't want to disturb you. you. Let you be there. God was doing a, a work in my life. You see, so, so it's because of the love of fellow Christians, the acceptance, the love, that I, be, that, that I began to come into fellowship. I surrendered my life to Jesus. And not only that, I was not left alone to grow. One of the Christian brother came and he said, can I disciple you? I said, yes, please disciple me. And he spent a lot of time with me, not just eating. We eat because he loves to eat. But he also took me through Bible study. And not only that, he took me out to do ministry, visitation, hospital visitation, praying for the sick, 
encouraging those who may not be coming to church. He took me on a motorbike and we went on a motorbike and that is how I learned and how I grow. You see, friends, we are called to come into community. We are not called to come to become a Christian and to be left alone. See, I cannot know true fellowship with other believers until I personally come to faith in Jesus Christ and begin to walk with Him on a daily basis. In other words, knowing Christ personally and growing in that relationship is the basis for any true fellowship with others that know Christ. No true Christian fellowship is when we share together about the riches of Christ and the treasures of His Word. It is Christ Himself that we share in common. Anything less is not really genuine fellowship. You know, the person who discipled me actually asked me tough questions when he sees me. Have you been reading your Bible? I have to be honest. I say, yes, I have. And what book are you reading? So I could tell him. But at the same time, also, I say, I, sometimes I read without understanding. I really don't know what, what, what the Bible is talking about. So I point out to him and say, can you explain to me? So I explain to him. So I, oh, yes. Now I fully understand what this verse, what this chapter meant to me. And I grew. See, so, so you and I, we are called to grow in Christ as well. So when you and I, we become a Christian, it is possible for us to develop genuine fellowship with other Christians, even though we do come from different backgrounds, different personality, social status, or race. If you don't believe me, you look around this auditorium. We all come from different backgrounds, social status, even race. Even our personality is different. Some of us are quieter, some of us talks a lot, very exuberant. No. In fact, we don't need to look for a group with common social status, interests, race, to enjoy the true fellowship. And that is very true. You see, when Jesus called the 12 disciples together, all of them have different temperaments, different character. Peter, loud mouth. He has to speak first before anybody speaks. And sometimes he trips over himself. Then you have Simon the Zealot. He is, he is really from a radical political group. His hobby is to kill. To kill who? To kill tax collectors. And the funny thing is this, that Matthew, is the tax collector, is one of the twelve. So I don't even know whether every night he's plotting to kill Matthew or not. But Jesus took this group of different people, different social status, different... different uh, a personality, and he put them together. And Jesus taught them, taught them this in John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus is having a small group meeting, a holy communion where the 12 were there. He's teaching them. And I want to share with all of you, that when, if you belong to a cell group now, learn to love one another because all your fellow cell members are different in personality, 
in their social status, in their background where they come from. I know that some are more lovable than others. But those who may not be so lovable, they may be a thorn to your, to your neck. Begin to praise God, that God may place him or her there to mold you and to shape your character so that you can be a better person and become more Christ-like. I know what it means because I was formerly a cell leader before. In fact, I started off as a cell member and moved up to become a cell leader. Being a cell leader is not easy. So for those of you here, if you see your cell leader here, please appreciate them. Say thank you to them for being patient with me. Thank you for loving me. Thank them. It's not easy. I was a cell leader and I know that I've got 18 to 20 people Wow, I tell you, different personality. Like I said, initially when they come together, very peaceful because nobody dares to question each other's decision. But as the cell group grows and people get to know one another better, they start to ask you difficult questions. Sometimes you find that the temperature rise. The cell group also, the, the, the stress level will go and go up. And when, the cell, and when the stress level goes up, the cell leader's stress also go up. That's why some cell leaders say, Pastor, I don't want ready, uh. Better be a cell member than to be a cell leader. I know, because when I was leading a young working adult zone at that time, young adults, single, yuppies, working already, guess what? Guess what? The next thing is, sometimes they come, people say they come to church to search. They come to cell group to look for a girlfriend. Really, young working adults. And sometimes they pair off, even though we advise them not to pair off because it is, we, we know that it cannot work one. But they choose to pair off. And then after that, when, they, when the relationship turns sour, you know what happened? One will drop off from the cell, drop off from church, resign from their workplace, move to KL to work. Because, hey, why you resign? Ah? Cannot, pastor cannot come to church. Lah. Cannot stand the fuller's face. It's true. And so, this is what, what happens. Relationship issues, young working adults. But, do we step down? No. We manage, we mediate. We do the best to maintain love and peace. And the wonderful thing is that those who know about these issues from the cell group, they will jump in, they will help to counsel, talk to the, those who are affected in the relationship as well. You think IGC that, that I'm overseeing now, no, no issues? God! No issue also. Some parents are so protective over their children, you cannot tell the, 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 the child, hey, stop running, uh, the, 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 the parent will get very offensive. But that's why in, in the IGC care cell, we have a covenant. A cell covenant in which all cell leaders will remind all the cell members occasionally about the cell covenant. And one of the cell covenant is this, that parents should not get upset when another parent corrects our children because they are our un uncles and aunties. And every child who goes to a person's home, you are not allowed to jump 
on the settee, on the cushion, you're not supposed to enter someone else's room without permission. You want to enter, you must first ask permission. It doesn't end there. We have a longer list of cell covenants so that everybody is fully aware to maintain peace. But we still have to manage. So in the care cell, you will see the good, the bad, and the ugly. But it's okay. We are called to live in community. And that's where we grow together. And that is the wonderful part about being, about loving one another. You know, for us, this command is easy. When, when somebody is lovable, we say, yala, we love about. What about those who are a thorn to us? Nevertheless, you still, we still have to love one another so that people will know that we are Christ's disciples. That's why Paul emphasizes that in the church there are no distinctions between slaves and freemen or Jews and Gentiles. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. See, true fellowship, true koinonia comes into place when Christ is in the picture, when you and I know Christ. Why? Because, first of all, you and I were not lovable. We were living in sin. And yet Jesus chose to die for you. In spite of our sinfulness, just like me, Christ died for us. But if we want people to experience the love of Christ, they must first experience the love from us who call ourselves Christians. So how can this deepening fellowship amongst believers come about? In order for this to exist, to come about, there must be a coming of together, to meet in the temple courts and from house to house. We come together to care, to love, and to pray for one another in small groups. We are called to have fellowship with one another, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. This message has not changed until today, why I say that it is not changed? Because 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says, John says, in the beginning, in the beginning. In other words, it has not changed since the beginning. It has been the same since then. Let's look at verse 4. It says, Paul went on to say that when you and I have fellowship, you and I, we can have a complete Joy. The shared experience of life of Jesus alone makes true Christian fellowship and comes through Jesus alone. There's one thing we have in common. Christian fellowship ought to fill you and I with joy. Why? We feel joy when somebody grows in a castle. We, we feel joy when somebody gave their life to Jesus. We feel joy when the person starts to serve, either in a castle or in a church. We feel joy, we experience joy when we see a life, the life of our fellow brothers and sisters transformed by the power of God. That is what brings us joy. John chapter 15, verse 9 to 11 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So joy, as what John describes, is a gift of God, which comes from the knowledge and experience of the life that God gives. True joy is available for us today through Jesus Christ. So what does God, after knowing this, so what does God require of me? What does God require of us? What does God require of those who want to offer their sincere devotion? What does it mean to be a faithful disciple of Jesus? And look at verse 5. John went on to say, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. There are three references to light in the Old Testament. Light characterizes God's self-manifestation. Second, God's revelation through the spoken and written word gives light. Light symbolizes God's salvation. That's the third. Now, these images are related as light shows the way in darkness. So through God's revelation, we are able to know God and the path in which we are to walk. A path that leads to God. No one likes to walk in darkness. All of us wants to walk in the light. In fact, we thank God for this light so that all of us can see each other's faces. Right here on the platform, I can see all your faces, all your expressions. I can see whether you are paying attention or you're dozing off already. Yes, it's so clear because it's brightened up. I can see who's on the phone also. That is what light means. When light comes, darkness has to leave. I took my family for a movie. And you know that in certain cineplexes, A row is on the top. So you enter through the last row and then you have to climb the steps up. That time we went, the whole cinema was in darkness already. The advertisements was rolling. So four of us, we walked, we had to be very careful. It was dark. Somebody was following us from behind. Suddenly, I, I heard there was the fall. Then after that, I turned around, took my, my phone, turned on the flash. Oh, poor me. There was a guy who stumbled, popcorn all over the, the staircase. His pot soda also spilled all over the carpet already. Because why he stumbled? He was walking in darkness at that time. I was walking in darkness, but you have to be... Thank God I didn't sleep and fall. But that's what happens in darkness. It's dangerous when we walk in darkness. That's why God is light. And because God is light, there's no darkness in Him. And darkness will have to go when light comes. Verse 5, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you God is light in Him. There is no darkness at all. So if all of us here agree with what John wrote, that God is light, there's no darkness in Him, what does God require of you and of me today? Like I said, that light and darkness are incompatible. In a Christian uh, in the Christian's life, there should no be, there should 
not be any darkness in us as well. God has no fellowship with darkness because God is light. We as children of God are to walk in the light and not in darkness. To walk in the light means to shape our whole being, our actions, decisions, thoughts, and beliefs by God's standards. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect like God. No, you and I, we can never be perfect by God, but we must always grow. We must always grow and shape our being, our actions, decisions, thoughts, and beliefs by God's standards. What God wants from us is that our lives are conformed to His character and we have a heart of God. Verse 6 and 7 says, If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not leave out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So we learned that God wants us to have a vertical relationship with Him and horizontal relationship with fellow believers. And if we want to have that kind of fellowship with fellow believers and with God, God is like, therefore, you and I should not have darkness in our life. We must be walking in the light as well. Why? Because John says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. We do not live out the truth. In verse 6, John uses, if we claim to have fellowship, why did he use the word claim? Why did he use the word claim? He used the word claim because only you and God knows whether you are walking in the light or you're walking in darkness. No one will ever know. Only you will know. That is why John is using the word, if you claim. And if you claim to be walking, if you claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, John uses a very strong word and he says, you lie. In other words, you are a liar. In the sight of God, God said, you liar. There was a song that was made popular by the Platters. And it is sung by this group. Uh, it is, uh, this group sang the song. The group is called Platters, The Great Pretender. How many of you heard this song, The Great Pretender? Ah, you are my, you are my age, lah. But then, uh, this song was sung again by the, by the late Freddie Mercury from The Queen. This is the same song, The Great Pretender. So, you know, let us be genuine and not be the great pretender. John is very honest with us this morning. Don't be a liar. Don't allow God to call you to be a liar. See, you and I, we cannot have fellowship with God with one foot in darkness and one in light. Since God is light in Him, there is no darkness at all. We cannot serve God who is light while continuing to dwell in a sphere that is hostile to God, which is the realm of darkness. See, darkness is not just confined to sin or wrongdoing, but it covers our lack of relationship 
and disobedience towards God. Friends, today you and I are challenged to make a decision whether you will put both your feet in a light or you will still continue to put one feet in, in the light and one feet in the darkness. No one will know. Like I said, like John said, only you will know. God will know. So if we, you and I do not want to be called a liar by God, then you and I must live out the truth in our life. You and I will have to make a decision today. So I want all of us who are here this morning, I want you to look at your own life, and I'm referring to myself also, look at your own life for a minute. Look at your own life. Where are you today? You see, no one will ever be perfect, but there, is there something in your life that you need to get rid of, to deal with it, so that you can walk in the light? Sometimes there's a blind spot in us. And sometimes it's good for us to allow people to, to tell us, hey, you are having this issue. Like me. You know, as a teenager, I had a very short fuse. I have a very short fuse. I get angry very, very fast. And I thought it was okay. Anything will trigger my anger. And people find it difficult to build relationship with me. I didn't realize it. To me, is you don't want to build relationship, don't, don't build relationship, it's okay. I was so arrogant to the, to the extent that I said, it's to your loss that you don't build relationship with me. That's how arrogant. But you know what? People who loved me, people who cared for me, including my parents and friends in church, those who, who loved me and cared for me, actually came to tell me a few times and said, Thomas, do you know one thing that you, are, you have? I said, what is it? They said, we are taking a big risk in telling you. You may blast us, we may, may become toast. But nevertheless, we love you enough to tell you this. You have a very bad temper. You are a very bad tempered person. You better deal with your temper. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people came and tell me. I began to sit down and begin to ponder. If seven people or eight people dare to come and tell me something is wrong with me, I'm walking in darkness. That means my life doesn't bring glory to God at all. In other words, I, I didn't realize it until they came to tell me. And I begin to handle, manage myself. But I want to tell you also that God had a, a part to play in which God sent circumstances into my life as well. And I became angry with God because why God didn't remove the circumstances. I was so upset. But what happened was that because of the circumstances and because people encouraged me, loved me and accepted me, gradually, people began to come and tell me, say, hey, we see that you are no longer 
you no longer lose your temper so easily now. You are more patient, you are more tolerant, and, 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 and you begin to listen more than before. So I'm work in progress. Do I still lose my temper? Yes, I still do because I'm still human. But the thing is, is I don't lose my temper so easily now. You know, my, 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 the, the best critic, you know, the best people who can talk to you and you better listen is your spouse and your children. Sometimes I preach, I go back, oh, my, my, my wife will say, now it's time for us to do a critique of your sermon. <laughs> huh? So you better listen. Okay. So they will tell, first, we tell you what you did well. Uh, they will tell. Uh, this is what you should consider. Yeah. So my children also say, yeah, dad, we conquer. So I reflect back, I told them, hey, in the car, if I had been a teenager and you tell me this, all of you will be toast already. <laughs> but God is working in my life. You see, I was walking in darkness. But now I have to deal with it. And I want to thank God that I'm no longer the same person that I used to be. I'm walking in the light. So is there something in your life that God wants you to deal with it so that you can walk in the light? Don't walk in the darkness. Verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Friends, if you walk in the light, you have fellowship with one another and the good news is that when you repent, when you turn and change your ways, the good news is that God will no longer call you a liar, but the blood of Jesus purifies you from all sin. There is still hope. We are not perfect people. We will still sin. But the good news is that the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. So if the blood of Jesus purifies us from sin, from all sin, and God desires you to have fellowship with Him and with fellow brothers and sisters, there's a reason for why you and I, we need to have fellowship so we can fulfill our command to love one another. John chapter 13, verse 34 says, how can we show our love to one another if we do not have fellowship with one another? You see, in the New Testament, there are over 46 verses that command us to do things like love one another, encourage one another, be of the same mind toward one another, serve one another, submit to one another, teach one another, and the least can go on. So how can we accomplish these things unless we are in fellowship with one another. Unless you are in a big group like this, and also not only in this big group, but belong to a small group. How can you love one another if you don't spend time with each other? You see, friends, you and I, we are not called to come to Penang Christian Centre once a week, and then we leave and have nothing to do with one another until the next weekend. We must take the time to develop relationships with one another. You and I, we are called family. We belong to the family of God. How can, you know, how can we say that we are a Christian and yet we do not want to get involved in a church? That is not the way God wants it. 
So let's encourage one another to grow together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25 says, And let us consider how we may, sp- <coughs> how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So how can you and I we fellowship with one another in PCC? First of all, by worshipping together like what all of us did this morning. Why, when we come together to worship, to declare the goodness and the glory of God, we actually encourage one another. When we see fellow brothers and sisters worshipping together, lifting up their hands, and also glorifying the name of Jesus. Secondly, by joining a track class together, doing class. Uh, during class, we can get to know one another as we discuss and as we talk over the topic and we grow together and we build new relationships with fellow brothers and sisters in the, in the track class. By being in a care cell together, it's a small group where our interaction will be much closer. Relationships are forged when we come together as we learn together, support, encourage one another in a care cell. See, fellowship with God will always be characterized by walking in light, doing the truth, living as God desires, and that is to have koinonia. Do you want to please God? Do you want to build relationship with God and with your fellow believers as the worship team comes back? You and I, we have to make a decision today. What will your decision be? That in order for us to be in a fellowship, we must be willing to open up ourselves. Open ourselves to build a deeper relationship. That our conversation should not, should not be at the cliche level but it will help us to grow deeper by being able to deal with issues, allowing people to speak into our lives and to walk in the light so that you and I, we can be more Christ-like. Why Christ-like? Because Jesus is into community. Jesus is into relationships. He has relationships with the 12. He has a relationship with you today. And He wants you to have a relationship with others. Just like our our vision statement says, touching people, changing lives. You can only touch people and change their lives when you and I decide today that yes, God, I want to be in a community. I want to build relationship with at least one or two brothers and sisters in Christ. And I will allow them to speak into my life so that I will not live in darkness. Because sometimes, like I said, like me, I thought that I was living in a light until people realized that that is a character flaw in me. And they took the risk 
and they lovingly come and tell me, speak the truth in love so that I can change my life. Will you allow people to also speak into your life? Give them permission so that you and I can become a better person. So that when we relate to other people, people will know that, hey, I know him, I know her. But I realize that there's something that is different in his life as a Christian now. And whatever that I used to experience but I dare not tell, I see that there's a change. And you guess what? Who gets the glory? Jesus gets the glory. Let's stand together. Let's stand together and let's ask God to help us First of all, to live in community. Second, to allow people to speak into our personal life so that our life can be changed. So that you and I, we can walk in the light. So that we will not walk in darkness because sometimes we don't know. But we do. We, we, we don't know because we don't even allow people to speak into our life. when we allow people to speak into our life then our relationship moves to the next level and just as people we allow people to speak into our life I pray that the people who speak into our life will also allow us to speak into their life so that their lives also will be changed as iron sharpens iron that's what the Bible says let's sharpen one another's life that's what community is all about that's what koinonia is all about it's not just have you eaten how good are you no no it, allow people to speak into our life and say hey there's a, something in your life that I would like to speak so that it can help you to grow let us move on from our cliches to a deeper conversation and so let's ask God this morning as, as we sing sing to God Father, we ask of you this day, come and heal our land.